Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Listen to the Inside Curling podcast ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hi again, everybody. You do not need to know why I'm laughing. You don't need to know. Uh, thanks for joining us in another episode of Inside Curling with our two World Curling Hall of Famers, uh, Kevin Martin, of course, and Warren Hansen. All right, here's what's on the show today. Fellas, Goldline is one of the committed sponsors of Inside Curling and Everything Curling, not just in Canada, but around the world. Joining us today for an interesting discussion is the CEO of Goldline, Peter Townsend, and Andrew Brett, the Vice President of Goldline, to talk about a bunch of stuff. We've got uh, many questions for them. Mailbag, we're going to look at a couple of emails, but first and foremost, someone finally sent Jim an email. Can we go to it right now? Can we? <laughs> Actually, there was more than one. I just picked the best. That a boy, Warren. Okay, uh, so we're going to look at that. What's happening around the curling world? Another veteran curler from the world stage announced her retirement this last week, and uh, we're going to take a look at that. Everything is pretty much done on the event level for the season, but there was an interesting event that took place in the world stage a couple of weeks ago, and we'll give you a little review on that. Hot rock topics. Over the past 30-plus years, it seems there have been a constant battle of creating numerous changes to encourage more scoring. Two-to-one games are boring. A number of people lodge complaints that, again, there seems to be too many blank ends. This is not the first time we've heard about this, Warren, but you told me it's something different. There's a different angle. Well, it was uh, it was brewing up pretty good in that discussion about uh, eight ends versus ten. Uh, a lot of people making comments about the blank ends, so I thought it was time to maybe have a little chat about it uh, one more time. We picked up some comments from Nick Vidi regarding the use of stopwatches. Hmm. We want to uh, thank all of our sponsors, Sports Interaction, who brings you what is happening around the curling world. Nestle Boost, the sponsor of Mailbag. Cody Tractor brings you hot rock topics. And Hearing Life, they sponsor a new segment called What Are You Hearing? And our big sponsor. Okay, and we've got two of them joining us today from Goldline. We've got the vice president of Goldline. I've never done well with vice presidents, Warren. I never got that close, okay, to upper management. We've got, <laughs> we've got Andrew Brett is with us and Pete Townsend from Goldline. Uh, and we're going to bring him on in a second. Goldline is uh, committed sponsors that we have uh, to this program, and we couldn't do it without them. They've been along with us the, the whole ride. Goldline curling equipment can be found in pro shops and curling stores all around the world, plus their retail stores in Calgary, Mississauga, London, and Scarborough. Two stores in Ottawa. They can be found at every Grand Slam, a curling event, and online anytime at goldlinecurling.com. Goldline Curling's new impact room maximizes performance for carry, hold, and carve. We've been talking a lot about that this year, so we're going to speak to the lads here about that. Learn more at goldlinecurling.com. Goldline Curling's Momentum Rush shoes are the fastest, most stable, and most comfortable shoes Goldline has ever made. And Goldline Curling is proud to be a founding partner of United We Curl, a nonprofit focused on expanding diversity in curling. Learn more at unitedweekcurl.com. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, uh, Pete. Uh, we talked a little bit off air. You won't believe this, but Andrew said, even with two World Curling Hall of Famers, Andrew said, Jim, I was looking most forward to meeting you. Yeah, that's so true. That's true. There's no, no embellishment at all there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because you're a patch oh, yeah. guy. I'm a patch guy. I think we would have hit it off famously. I know Kevin real well and uh, Warren a little bit, but I thought, you know, Jim Jerome, that's the guy. That, yeah, c clearly, yeah. And uh, I'm sure you, you uh, that's the same sentiment, Pete, for you. Oh, of course. Yeah, Jim. Yeah. So totally looking forward to meeting you, speaking with you. It's, it's, it's going to be great. Good. Where are you guys right now? Where do you live? Where, where are we getting yeah, you from? Just outside of Toronto in uh, Whitby, Ontario. Sure. Yeah, and I'm up in Acton, Ontario. Oh, okay, yeah, know those spots. There's so much to talk about to you guys, and thank you so much for, for sponsoring the show. Uh, wh when did you guys get involved in Goldline first, Andrew? 
Yeah, a really cool story with a pal of Kevin's, uh, Mike Harris. Uh, he introduced me to the Gold Line Gang uh, years ago. Just uh, absolutely loved everything about working at a, a small company uh, in, the, in the sporting world and just absolutely enjoyed every moment of it. And, uh, you know, a few years ago, 2018, hooked up with Pete and with Aaron to buy the company. So it's right. been uh, quite the ride, you know, roller coaster even through COVID, but it's been amazing. You know, we, talk, we often talk a lot about uh, sweeping on this program and carving and, and all sorts of angle sweeping and all sorts of stuff. When did all this come around that you were looking at it going, okay, okay, we got some stuff here to, to think about, a little research, okay? I'll be honest, um, the, the first time that it came up to me was the first time that I met with Aaron to talk about coming on board with Goldline. Um, I remember we were at the Players' Champions in um, Toronto, and we were walking through Mickey Finn's there across the street, and one of the curlers put her, pulled her aside and said, Hey, you working on any kind of new broom? Because uh, we know there's always new developments going on and what's happening here. And we've been working on it ever since. It's a constant for us. So we're always looking at what can we do to uh, increase performance. And especially now with the rules from World Cooling Federation, we're always looking at what can we do within the existing specs so that we can maximize uh, what people can do on the ice. Um, so, yeah, it's a constant iterative process for us. How about the... Um you know, the expansion of curling around the world, you know, in Asia and Europe, of course, and, and United States. And we used to do a few uh, Zoom calls with curling clubs. And, you know, we thought, well, that's crazy. There's one in Dallas. There's one in L.A. And then we found out there's a curling club in Nigeria. Uh, you know, Turkey is, is doing unbelievably well. How, what, what has that meant, Pete, for your business as CEO uh, going forward? Well, it's definitely exciting times. I mean... Canada is still the largest market for us, but we're always seeing expansion. We're getting people reaching out to us from other countries. Uh, we're speaking with somebody over in South Korea right now about uh, carrying more of our product over there. A whole bunch of other companies all the time. Andrew actually does a lot more of the sales, especially on that wholesale side. So he might have more to say on it, but we definitely are always chasing down things throughout all the different places in the world where they're curling now. Yeah. And just really quick on that, I guess, you know, especially what's happening stateside. I know Warren has uh, been a huge part of, uh, of that growth, but just amazing. You know, we go down there and, uh, you know, it's a really young and hip curling audience that's down there and uh, they do it right. Their bond spiels are epic. What are the high-performance curlers saying about the equipment these days? Uh, tell us about the relationship you have with them, how you deal with them. Are they part of your sort of research and development uh, side when you, when you look at the ever-changing sport? Absolutely. Um, actually, last year when we were getting pretty close to launching the impact broom that uh, you'd mentioned earlier, we grabbed a bunch of the high-performance players and we brought them out to Winnipeg because they've got a rock-throwing machine there so that you can make sure you've got the exact same throw every single time and you can sort of isolate at least that variable out of the testing process. Mm -hmm. And so we did a whole bunch of testing with that broom on the ice. Uh, and it was interesting working with the ice maker as well because you're trying to make sure that you've got consistent ice throughout the day. Uh, and you know, um, Kevin, I'm sure you know that you've got ice conditions that change throughout the day and so on. So we're trying to account for that. And we're just making sure that we can do absolutely the most that we can do with that broom. So uh, we definitely do bring in a lot of the high performance curlers specifically for that so that we can get that testing done and making sure that we're putting the best product out there. Very smart. Kevin, go ahead, man. Hey, uh, this probably goes to Andrew, but thanks you guys for coming on. I sure appreciate it. And uh, of course, now Andrew and I, well, Pete and I know each other too, but Andrew and I know each other big time over the last few years. And of course, Aaron, and then of course, Aaron's dad, Doug. So I've got quite a history over, gee, I don't know, 30, 35 years, something like Careful, that. Careful, you'll eat yourself. 70. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're getting close to 80, Kevin. So we understand that. It could be forgetful. Well, there's one of us like that, but no. Um, you mean Jim? <laughs> but anyway, thanks you guys. Um, what I did want to mention about with the brooms is, uh, is the trickiness, Andrew, about uh, when you've got, I guess, the club curler um, up to, say, intermediate using um, the regular fabric and you've got the competitive player using the WCF fabric and being able, because I, I, you know, I read a, a letter from Pete that um, you're thinking of maybe using the new head on the Fiberlite broom, which is kind of the, the midline gold line broom. I guess the advantage or the difficulty in, in having, I guess, that change where you've got the impact head with a regular fabric 
being used on intermediate broom. It can't be easy to decide on these things. Yeah, it's it's definitely not easy, and uh, you know, it's we're really fortunate to have you know uh, you know partners like yourself, and uh, you know, we're talking to rec curlers and uh, a lot of people in the industry, and in that uh, in that instance, I think you know somebody like me who's very much you know a rec uh, player, like I'll be making a few more shots. You know, I'll be I'll be sweeping really hard. I know that I'll be able to have a bigger effect uh, on the ice uh, sweeping with that sort of broom, even at the fiber light level. And before I throw it to Warren, I want to mention one thing. Um, during COVID, Andrew set this up. So I don't even know if Pete even know about this. But I, this was at the time when you, I think Andrew knows where I'm going here. You weren't allowed to drive or fly across the border, but you could walk across the border. And my daughter goes to school in Buffalo, but we couldn't get her home. Like, how are we going to get her home? I thought maybe to Seattle and then get her a cab to the, and then, maybe in Vancouver or something. But Andrew thought, well, no, wait a second. That's just not Niagara Falls. If she walks across the bridge, there's a really high bridge. And if you go, if you go through the, the border protection there, her and her, her buddy Lucy could walk across with their bags, walk across the bridge, <laughs> and then jump in the car on the other side. So Aaron Flowers, another owner of, of Gold Line, and I wish she could have been on today, but she's busy with a barbecue. She was actually nice enough to go to the bridge and pick up Michaela and Lucy and then get them, well, actually with a bit of a barbecue at her house on the way to the airport. But Andrew, maybe a bit of that, I guess, when it comes to the, I guess, the, the personal side of the sport, because that's going, I, I think, a little beyond, but it was sure <laughs> helpful to get those girls home. Well, well, you know, those personal relationships, like that's the best part, isn't it? You know, it's, uh, you know, getting to know you and, and so many people in the, in the biz uh, over the years has been literally the best part, whether it's, uh, you know, players or uh, or coaches or uh, former players that's that's truly the best part and yeah covid was a a really crazy time so we had to you know get creative to have some fun you know and uh you know helping uh, some friends over uh international border sounded like a fun thing to do you know i'm not allowed to go across the border either do you think she would meet me there if that's all it takes <laughs> yeah, for, for different yeah, reasons yeah exactly yeah, go ahead Warren. <laughs> thanks for joining us guys and uh Let's talk a bit about shoes, I guess. I, too, come from the curling equipment business a long time ago. I uh, was very involved with the design and development of corn brooms of Midwestern broom, but I also have shoes. And uh, certainly, back in my time, there wasn't a proper curling shoe really made. It was, uh, it was the old Ken Watson shoe, and then Bauer came out with a shoe, and you had to glue a slider on it. There never was a gripper on the opposite foot, so... In the early 70s, uh, I decided it was time to try and change this, so I approached Puma. And uh, we developed a shoe with a proper gripping surface on the one foot and a new type of material as a slider on the left. And uh, they actually developed 32 prototype pairs, and uh, we used them. Everybody loved them, but they never put them into full production, so there was only 32 pairs ever made. So I then ended up with Bauer, and uh, we developed the first really, I guess, shoe that was built that way back in the uh, mid-70s with a full slider. And a gripper on the other foot, as a, known as the Bauer Professional, which is long gone. But you guys have a new momentum shoe. Pete, you want to tell us what that's all about, how it's made, and uh, how it's going? Uh, yeah, so the momentum shoe was um, a really fun one for us to work on. We were working on it actually for a few years leading into COVID, and uh, it unfortunately got shelved just for those couple of years of the pandemic. So we were really excited to bring them out last year. And it was an interesting one for us because... Since taking over ownership, it was the first shoe that we had built from the ground up. So we'd had a lot of strategic direction as the current ownership team in laying out exactly what we were looking for in the platform for a shoe. Um, so when we refer to a series of shoe, it's talking about that bottom outsole piece, the platform of the shoe, which is um, with momentum, it's got a really flat base to ensure that you've got a nice straight slide. It's got a lot of uh, lateral stability, so there's not going to be a lot of twist to it, but it's still got a lot, enough flexibility that you can get up on your toe. So whether you're a flat foot slider or a tuck slider, these shoes really work quite great. Um, and then something that we learned from when we had our Quantum series is that we used to have those uh, discs that were reinforced with polycarbonate. And so we took that technology and we applied it to the slider discs on the Momentum and we've got a reinforced Teflon, which helps because even with a thinner Teflon, you can still slide faster than any 
current Teflon. So like even faster than a quarter inch, uh, you can slide because this is reinforced. So it slides up on top of the pebble instead of riding up and down through the pebble. So uh, with all of that, it ends up being a really quick, stable and comfortable shoe. And then also because it's got discs, if you're really fine tuning your slide, um, and so you're accounting for any drift or any fade that you've got in your slide, you can just twist that disc by maybe a 16th of an inch and really adjust for any of the uh, idiosyncrasies of that, that shoe and, and make sure that you're sliding dead straight. So one thing, uh, Pete, I'd like to ask you about, uh, Rob Kreps. So you know Rob, he, uh, he runs the U of A program in Edmonton, yeah. and he's not easy to please. Rob and I have been friends since uh, we started with the Players Association going back to 95. So we've been friends for a long time and, and, and he's meticulous. Um, he has told me, I don't know if he's told you guys, but um, that he feels that the momentum shoe is the straightest shoe that his teams have ever used. Now I'd like to, and, and I'm not sure exactly why you mentioned because of the what do you call the Teflon? It's a thinner Teflon, but but it's being backed by something hard? Yeah, it's reinforced with a, a polycarbonate backer. Okay. So with that, does that maybe lessen the effect of the striations in a Teflon after being cut? Maybe that does that possibly make the difference? Well, well I guess I'm just trying to get to the bottom because I get a lot of customers that come in my store and sure. asking which shoe should we get? I guess for me, telling the customer exactly, okay, this shoe slides straighter, and they look at me like, yeah, right. Well, no, they, it actually does, according to Rob Kreps, U of A program. So I guess the why, I guess I'd love to hear. Yeah, so I'd say there's two things going on there. One is that we have worked with our manufacturing partner to make sure that if there's any of those striations, as you refer to them, uh, within the Teflon, that they're working on making sure that those run straight north-south. But as you know, there can be a little bit of variance in there. So with the Momentum shoes, we built them with Velcro discs on the bottom. And, and one of the reasons for that is, as you know, it can be really hard to gauge how many left-handed shoes do I need versus right-handed shoes? And do I need the faster shoe or do I need the mid-range speed? And so by putting Velcro on the bottom, you can account for all of that. You can service both right-handed and left-handed. You can do different speeds. Um, you can even, for tuck sliders, you can put a gripper on the heel so that when they put their foot down, they can have it act like a brake. But one of the other things that Rob discovered when he was doing his testing is that you can just change the orientation of that disc ever so slightly. So if you find that you're sliding a little bit to the right or a little bit to the left, and that could be because of the shoe, but that could also be because of the individual curler, that you can just twist that disc ever so slightly and account for that slide and you can get really nice and straight. So I think that that's what Rob and I have talked about quite a lot in terms of these shoes being so straight. I actually used a 332nd slider, 332nd inch, and then I'd walk out on the cement and slow it down a little bit because that was too quick. I, I actually, in Kelowna one time, I tried a 530 seconds, which is still only medium speed slider, but I was over the line on intern hits all the time. So I, I, I absolutely couldn't. I was quick, too quick out to the hog line. So I had to go back to 330 seconds. So you're right. I don't even think there is a slider for me anymore. <laughs> all, the, all the sliders are too fast. Yeah. Anyway, Andrew, I, I want to ask you one more thing, and I'll let Warren back in here. When it comes to marketing teams versus events, because you guys do a lot of both, but it seems to me you might be doing maybe a few less teams than you used to do, but maybe more involved in events than you used to be. Is that, or am, am I way off guard, or like way off the? No, mark? I think you've uh, you've nailed it, and that it's uh, you know really a, a renewed and strategic focus on uh, on who and what we're involved in, and uh, you know the the Grand Slam uh, event. You know, that uh, partnership really comes to mind as being a really uh, a key example of, you know, something that's really pushing our sport forward and is uh, a real mutually beneficial relationship and something that we're really proud of. Uh, and as are the teams that we are working with, too. It's really, uh, you know, we've established these kind of key and strategic partnerships that just seem to be a good fit for all of us. And, you know, we'll certainly, you know, keep that uh, approach moving forward, too, to make sure that we're working with, you know, the best people, you know, on and off the ice and who are really aligned with our values. Warren, go ahead. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Kevin. Um, so let's talk a bit. We've talked sliders. Let's talk about grippers because certainly during my days of running events, we were never ending problems of grippers shedding. So how are you making grippers today that don't shed? Has that been a problem of the past or 
I think that's something that, uh, you know, we're trying to educate people to with, uh, you know, how often they should uh, look at their gripper and, uh, and replace it, you know, for their own safety and also to re- remove uh, and prevent debris falling onto the ice. You know, we're trying to keep the ice makers happy, but also, you know, ensure that our ice at the club level or a competition level are clean and you're not going to have any picks at, uh, at any critical moments. And, you know, if my team's uh, listening to this right now, they'll be, uh, you know, d- thinking about, you know, on our uh, draw to the button, our playoff game uh, in the A division which was a pretty big deal for us and uh yeah we definitely uh had a had a pick it was nothing to do with my you know sweeping abilities or inabilities no, of but not. uh no, you know i'm pretty sure there was a pick i'm pretty sure there was a pick out there <laughs> great okay so uh pete let's talk about something different that uh, i know you guys make a headgear for curling and it's a pet peeve of mine the fact that i think more people should be wearing some kind of protective gear on their head particularly older people on the ice because it's extremely dangerous tell us about what you guys goal line make that uh, people can wear as a uh, head protection absolutely and I, I really appreciate you bringing that up warren um it's actually some one of the things that we've brought up a few times especially through our social channels is you know whether you're going to get gold line headgear or you're going to get something else like please wear something on the ice because we do see uh incidents every year where there will be a sudden run on headgear in one of our stores and you know it, it usually takes three or four people coming in in a single day before we realize what's going on. And invariably it's because there was a club locally where somebody had a really bad fall and everybody on the ice finally made that realization that, you know what, I really do need protection while I'm out there. So we're glad to see more people adopting it. Uh, We do have a few different options. So we've got a a full helmet, uh, which is a great one for your all round protection. Um, I know that Curling Canada usually recommends that you get something that is CSA approved. Um, Our helmet is not CSA approved simply because there is no CSA standard for curling. And so rather than going with a hockey standard or something to that effect, which may or may not translate to curling, we went with an international standard um, for snowboarding instead so that it could be recognized around the world and not just here in Canada. Um, And then the other type of headgear that we've got is some more fashionable options. So if you don't want to wear a full helmet, we've got a baseball hat and a toque and a po'boy and a couple different things that you can wear that look like normal headwear, but they have a protective plate at the back of the head, which is the most common fall that you see in curling, where your feet go out from under you, your butt hits the ice, and then your head goes snapping backwards. And so we're just making sure that you're protected in that uh, very sensitive area on the back of your head. Do you find more people are becoming aware? We do. Um, we're seeing that the sales are increasing every single year. Uh, so definitely more people are becoming aware. So going into this next season, what uh, has Goldline got that's maybe new this year? What are you bringing out in the way of new product? Yeah, so um, I'll take that one as well, just because I focus on all the product development over at Goldline. Uh, so we're really excited about, we talked about those Momentum shoes earlier, and I said that the uh, Momentum series is based on the outsole, the bottom of the shoe. Uh, so we've got new upper designs coming out this coming year and we've got them in some pretty flashy colors so kevin i know that all your customers a huge percentage of them are going to want them in black so we've got your standard black option but then we've also got a really flashy red color and then a very vibrant bright blue with lime uh, stitching in it so uh, we're looking forward to those and we've thrown a lace cover on there as well because we know that people who are performing at that top level like to make sure that they don't have that drag from their laces on the ice. So we've thrown a lace cover on them as well. So we're really excited about those. And then um, as we talked about the brooms and Kevin had mentioned that the fiber light impact is coming out. So we have put our new impact head, our high performance head onto that mid tier of broom so that it's available for more Uh, recreational curlers and then one of the things that it was funny everybody asked us for a whole bunch of times and it it took us a while to come around to it but we've made a real big team bag as well so if you're in one of those teams that you're traveling around to a lot of bond spiels and you're you've assigned your lead that hey he's got to carry all the equipment we've got a real big bag that they can put everything into and bring it around with them so so jim when you start curling we've got you covered because we've got headgear (laughs) for you really flashy (laughs) red shoes and a great broom (laughs) we're going to do an email later on today that that uh, uh talks about that so gold line be ready baby okay because i'm coming in <laughs> did i not see somewhere that you guys were developing a corn broom <laughs> yeah, it might have been april 1st that you saw that one <laughs> yeah, kind of a spoof or something I, I thought i saw something anyway i mean like what really 
Yeah. I have a dozen if you need them. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a kilt, okay? Could you get Warren in a kilt? That would be good. So, fellas, uh, thank you very much for everything you've done for curling and certainly inside curling. And I am uh, I'm down to Kevin's store shortly because I'm going to do some over the summer. Um, so give us, give, why don't you give us a rundown quickly before we go of all the products that you offer uh, for curlers? Shoes and brooms are definitely the lion's share of what we do. Like that's, that's the biggest thing that people need in curling. And then the accessories that go along with that. So your gripper for your shoe, uh, your new sleeves or pads or whatever it is that you need for your broom. Um, and then we've got the headgear that we spoke about. We got gloves and pants. We've got stabilizers. So if, if you don't slide with a broom, you slide with a stabilizer instead. We offer those. If you have trouble getting down to the hack, we offer sticks so that you can walk out of the hack and deliver the stone that way. And we got stopwatches, like basically anything that the individual would need to get out there and curl. That's what we've got for you. Well, I'll be down there. You had me at stabilizer. Okay. So I can, (laughs) (laughs) something I can do. Do you have a stick? Can I do the stick curling? Do you have a stick for me? Of course. Anything for you, Jim. Pete Townsend, the CEO of Goldline and uh, Andrew Brett is the vice president of Goldline. They're the owners and the operators of Goldline. Uh, Thanks again, fellas, for being alongside us. Uh, We look forward to a continued relationship with you guys down the road. We really, really appreciate what you've done for curling. Take it easy, boys. Great. Thanks, fellas. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, you guys. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Looks like Goldline is in good hands with those two guys. Yeah, it was a big change when uh, when Doug Flowers uh, decided to sell the company and uh, his daughter Erin and, of course, Pete and Andrew uh, bought the company. And, yeah, it, it is in good hands and it's been well run and uh, it was a sure a pleasure to have them on and talk about all things Goldline. It's nice to hear from the manufacturing side how it's all done and, and what it means. You know, Warren, you could give all your equipment to Goldline from uh, 79 years ago and they could have it on the wall of some of the stores, you know. <laughs> you know, a really, a really interesting discussion one day about the, would be the evolution of sliders as to how that all started, where it came from. It's been quite a process over the last probably 50 years of what was once used compared to what is new, used mm-hmm. now and how scientific and to the point it is where at one time it was a pretty crude situation. I shouldn't have given you a hard time, Warren. I'm about to read an email about me. <laughs> so who knows what this will be about, Martin? We'll have to see. Uh, here we go with the mailbag brought to you by Nestle Boost. Complete nutrition to fuel your day. So yes, Jim finally got an email. Actually, I hope you're nice, Warren. You're the guy who picked this. I thoroughly enjoy the Inside Curling podcast, and Jim is certainly a big part of the reason I do. He's very good at his job, introducing the guest and his bits that are done on the podcast and always recognizes the sponsor. He adds some lightheartedness to the show and is quite often good for a laugh, even if he's the butt of the jokes. My question is, how did Jim become the host of a curling show when he's never curled? (laughs) I'll warn you. From from the sounds of it, he's never even tried curling. I was also wondering how he got his nickname, Jungle Jim Jerome. (laughs) Cheers. Uh, Cheers. That's from Maria Forth. Well, thank you, Maria. I I think I'm pleased about that. (laughs) Listen, Maria. I don't need to curl to know everything about it. No, that doesn't make sense. (laughs) Not absolutely possible. (laughs) Okay, Warren Z, tell them how you and I met. Well, once upon a time, there was an event called the Briar being held in Edmonton, where Jim happened to be located, and we were heading towards the final weekend. It was a a big event, and uh, we didn't have an MC for the closing dinner, so somebody locally said, we've got a guy by the name of Jerome who uh, Wayne Gretzky tags along with uh, once in a while. Maybe, maybe we get him to do it. So sat down and I had a chat with Jim over at the old Sportex building, I think where that dinner was. And lo and behold, he was the MC of the, of the dinner. 
And uh, following that, he did such a bang-up job that we decided to take him on the road. So for the next 15 years, Jim was the MC of the Briar Patch. <laughs> so while Jim may have never curled, he probably knows more curlers than any curlers do in this country. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Warren wasn't sure what he was getting into, nor did I, and was quite gracious, Kevin, in handling the influx of the massive amount of emails he would get every night after my performance. In the- <laughs> he, would, he would come up to me the next day and go, okay, Scooter, uh, what, what, what's this all about from last yeah, night? I would just I, I'd hold up my computer. There's the emails. <laughs> One of the bad ideas I had, and then Warren said, we'll never do that again, is I decided at about 12 midnight when everyone is well liquored, to have a tattoo contest. <laughs> and that, that didn't go very well, Kevin, because people have tattoos in very you know, conspicuous spots, and they just they had no fear showing those in Warren said, that's, that's a one and done, Jim, okay, that tattoo contest. Uh, the, reason I, the way I got Jungle Jim is I was born in Sudbury, and there used to be a comic strip called Jungle Jim. Warren, you would, you would remember that. It's a little before my time. And my dad was very funny. And when I was born and my mother, they brought the baby into the room and my mother was there. My dad was there. And he, the first look he took at me, he said, hey, honey, he looks like that comic strip character, Jungle Jim. <laughs> and then when my mother died, I went through all the lists. She saved all the report cards. And right up until grade seven or eight, they were Jungle Jerome on the, uh, on the report cards. So... Anyway, Maria, thank you very much. I hope that answers all your questions. I really appreciate your email. Uh, keep sending those emails about me, and we'll, uh, we'll read them each and every week. <laughs> Here we go. Okay, we got to get down to something serious. Felix Aslan of Quebec is a fine up-and-coming curler. He represented uh, Quebec this year at the Briar. Felix, although quite a young man, is a traditionalist and firmly believes in things being A-OK the way they are and sees little need to change anything. I can see Warren fuming right now when he hears that. <laughs> Especially the game from 10 ends to 8. Warren is arguing for change. Felix does not believe anything needs to change. I guess you sort of uh, prodded him a little bit, eh? Warren said, why don't you send us an email and we'll read it on the show. Well, no. I think uh, Felix and a few others were complaining that all we ever talk about is the 8-hand game and we don't give any credence to the 10-hand game. So I said, well... If we get an email, it's about the 8-end game. I don't recall us getting any about the 10-end game. So okay. he says, all right, I'll send you one. So here we go. Okay, so, so here's the – and he's right, right? We've had every high-performance curler on, everybody – Kevin. I can't recall, Kevin, anyone saying we should absolutely keep it at 10 ends. It's always been 8. You know what? Back when we first started, Brad Gushu, he said, you know, I kind of like 10. And then the next time we had him on, of course, we've had Brad on a million yeah. times because we like to have him on when he wins stuff, and he wins stuff so often. And But he's changed his mind since then. But I do remember him saying that at the very start, maybe when did we start, maybe three years ago, three and a half years ago, when we started the podcast, he about the only guy that's ever said that. But now, of course, he doesn't say that anymore, but but he did. So there was one back in the day. I think Johnny Moe's 10-ender, isn't he? Well, listen, if we're going to get guys to respond on 10 ends, can we get someone a little more qualified than Brad Gushu? <laughs> <laughs> you're going to vote for him one day. I know you're going to vote for him one day. Yeah, I know. So here we go. Uh, it's, uh, this is from, of uh, course, Felix. Here's the email. Two days ago on the Facebook group came a publication advocating for, the reduce, for reducing the game to eight ends because it's too long. I commented that we should stay at 10 for various reasons. Warren then suggested I send an email of my own providing reasons to support 10 ends because that apparently has never made it into your mailbox. The door was then wide open. Game one of the Eastern Conference final in the NHL nearly went into five overtime periods. I read the news the next morning and saw that nearly everybody was amazed at how good that five-hour game was. Anyway, that sparked an idea in my head and I proceeded to publish something on the Facebook group advocating for keeping curling to 10 ends during the major championships. Well, Warren, today is your lucky day. I've tabulated the positive versus negative reactions to the combined posts as the ultimate reason why we should stick to 10 ends. Here's the final result. Hmm. 96% of people like 10 ends, while 4% would like to change it to 8. Well, it's a little bit skewed. I mean, you're you're going into a 
an email and who give you a thumbs up means who knows, right? I'm not sure that that's uh, that accurate, but okay, we'll we'll go along with it. <laughs> Amazing, he says. 96%, fellas. Have a nice summer, guys. That's from Felix. First of all, boys, although I get what he's saying about the almost a five-period hockey game, and it was very exciting, and it went a million hours. I'll accept that, Warren, once in a while that I would yeah. want, you know. Try it in November. Yeah, right. Try, <laughs> you know, if that was every night. So, uh, Felix, that doesn't hold water. Okay, Felix, that does not hold water that we should have a bunch of long games. So, why don't you go first, Warren? No, no, let's save you because you fight with Felix all the time. I'm going to change. Okay, I want you to think about this. Kev, what do you think of all this? Well, I don't think it matters how many ends we play as long as you can wrap it up in less than two and a half hours. That's the key. You know, that's why all these sports are trying to do what they're doing. And uh, so I guess as long as you can do that, I'm not exactly sure how you get done 10 ends in two and a half hours, but uh, eight ends certainly fits that bill. There's always people that that don't enjoy change, and Felix is one mm-hmm. of those. That's good. That's no problem. But as long as you can wrap it up in two and a half, that's really the the bottom line when it comes to uh, sports and growing sports with the younger generation. It's just not going to happen um, right. with longer games, and that's why baseball is doing what they're doing. That's why hockey has a shootout, and mm-hmm. five overtimes or four overtimes or one overtime is too many on an ongoing basis. But once in a while, I didn't watch it, but once in a while, you know, I guess what the heck. But... Uh, I can't imagine that the ratings didn't go down as the periods went on. <laughs> right, 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 right. Oh, for sure. I was at a game like that uh, in Vancouver. It was the longest game the Canucks ever played. It was probably 10 years ago. It was a playoff game. And by the time we got to, I think it was a third overtime period, the building was half empty. Uh, people just went home. It was 12, 31 o'clock right. in the morning. So I, I, that's not a, a good comparison. But I mean, Felix is traditionalist and lots of people are traditionalists. And of course, that's off a Facebook site. And we know that the age of the people on Facebook sites is is older. Mm -hmm. And uh, I asked the question, as a matter of fact, I said to Felix, by the way, how many people that have responded on this uh, particular thread are under the age of 45? And there was crickets. Nobody (laughs) responded. (laughs) So I'm sure there was some. You know, hardcore committed fans to the sport of curling or any sport, they're going to watch it anytime, any place, anywhere right, for any length right. of time. But they're not the majority. And uh, the 95% of the people watch or 90 wherever you want to sit it, they're what we would call kind of the casual or fringe audience. And they won't participate or watch beyond a reasonable length of time. I mean, I'm a golf fan, but I won't watch a golf tournament for, for eight days. I think yesterday in that very exciting finish, I watched the last four or five holes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But hardcore golfers will watch it uh, night and day. They'll sit behind the television the entire entire game. So I think it's just uh, the world is in constant change and everything is going to get tighter as time frames go on, as Kevin suggested. And I know people don't like change. Man, I've been dealing with that in the sport of curling all my life. And it's, it's a battle. I can, I can give you some examples. The original Briar in 1927 was 14 ends. And they discovered very quickly that it was 12 because in 1928, the second one went down to 12 ends. And then we stuck with 12 ends until 1977. And it was a battle because the World Championship came to existence in 1959. It was a 10-end game. So Canada stuck with that 12-end game from 1959 till 1977. And there was huge discussions. And the old guard dung it. They didn't want change. But guess what? Usually the case, they were pretty much forced to change. Because CBC was then the televising network, and they were only doing the final day of the briar. However, what they were doing is a nightly recap, like Jays and 30, at 11 o'clock every night. And they finally went to McDonald Tobacco and the CCA and said, hey, if we're going to continue this thing, you've got to shorten the games because we can't do a recap that starts at 11 when the last game ends at 10 to 11. And so they were more or less forced into making that change. I can give you other ones. Today, people have become very accustomed with warm-up before a game at the Briar Scotties, any big major curling event, 20 minutes. In 1975, you could not put your foot on the ice before the game started. I started that project in 1975. It took five years before you could finally throw a rock in a sheet of ice that you were playing on, and it was a war. For a warm-up? Yes, for warm-up. For warm-up. We had to get practically every psychologist in Canada to sign a letter that said, this is ridiculous what you're doing. Smoking was the other one. McDonald Tobacco were the sponsor of the Briar for 50 years, so the players smoked on the ice. And so once McDonald stepped back as a sponsor in 1979, the new one, Labatt, said, 
uh, we don't think that the smoking on the ice is a good idea. And so in 1980, for the first time ever, the players could not smoke on the ice at the Briar. And uh, it was a freaking scream. I mean, a third of the players in those days smoked, and they were just furious that you could no longer smoke on the ice. So it's it's evolution. It's the growing with time. And uh, I, again, believe we're going to be at eight ends. I'm just not sure how we're going to get there. But I'm suspecting it's going to be something to do with the streaming or linear television production of all this stuff that's going to force it to go to eight ends, and that will be it. It was so tough to get the at the curling club level to get people to stop smoking actually on the ice for regular games. That was a real war. Really? At the Avenir, my job had a part-time job while I was going to college, and my job was to go in at night, and I had to clean all the ashtrays. <laughs> that was my job. So out on, out on the ice, uh, on the benches, at each end of the bench, they had an ashtray at each end. I remember that. Yeah. And then at the home end on the shelf, they had about three ashtrays. And by the end of the night, especially on Wednesday night, the 700 wing had a league. And all, all of the ashtrays were heaping everywhere yeah. all across the building. And that was my job to go in and wash them all. Oh, Jesus. As a kid, it, it, a job's a job. Yeah. But that's the way it was. Back in the day. You may not re- be remember, you might not have been the MC then, but the Briar Patch, that was another huge oh battle because the Briar, yeah. the Briar Patch used to just be a haze of smoke. So probably around 1990, this we can't smoke in the Briar Patch anymore started. Another huge war. Were you there at the time when we put up this kind of like a tent yeah, I was just in the corner say, of the Briar Patch? It was in Ottawa. <laughs> it was in Ottawa. <laughs> yeah, where you had to go to smoke. I know, but I did a bit. You know, we used to do video clips and then show them. So I had the camera guy. So you had this... You know, a huge patch, right? It holds thousands of people. And then in one little corner, okay, so maybe like like 300 square feet, okay, and the patch was thousands of square feet. Everyone had to go in there to smoke. And, uh, and I looked at it, and you couldn't see, okay? <laughs> Literally, you cannot see people's heads. It, like the smoke was hovering over. So I went in like a commando. I went in on my stomach going, we're going in, down, down, down. It was, it was hilarious. So nothing like a great rivalry, and we got to be fair to Felix, okay? So we took him on on his email. He's not here to respond. So Felix, we'd like to keep this going, okay? We love, Kevin and I love to see guys take on Warren. Uh, I'm, I'm, we talked about this last night, Warren, and, and it's a great point that you made about change. Should we all be driving Studebakers? You know, should should we all have rotary phones? Should our golf clubs be wooden shafts? All sorts of stuff, right? Banking. Should you have to go line up for nine hours at a bank? You know that. So, it's a good point, Warren. By you, it's a good point, right? Life is about change. And Felix, we'll, we're going to give you the floor. Don't take any shit from Warren. <laughs> What's happening around the curling world is brought to you by Sports Interaction. You want to bet? You can do it at Sports Interaction. Get in on the action and make a play at Sports Interaction. You've got to be 19 years uh, at least to play and Ontario only. And please play responsibly. This week, an announcement out of Germany that another curler who has held a very respectable position in the world curling rankings is retiring from the sport. Daniela Jentsch, ranked 23rd in the world, has announced that she is stepping away from curling after 26 years of international curling. Kev, what's your knowledge of Daniela? Well, Daniela, uh, I've known her well since she started, actually. <laughs> so a long, long time. Uh, she entered the juniors in 1997, played in the junior worlds, and it's her first women's worlds in 2000. But really hit the, I think really hit the stage in 2015 as one of the, you know, one of the world's top curlers. And she kind of took over from Andrea Schopp, if you remember that name, out of Germany. And then Daniela was at, I'm once again using my memory, but I think she's in every world's other than, of course, 2020 because of the uh, COVID, until 2023. So a great run, really good player. And it's sad when people retire, but, you know, it happens, and that's that's the way it goes. Her game, though, definitely improved over the last 10 years remarkably. Like, she really started to get to finals, semifinals, quarters, in cash events all over the world, and just really became an international player. So, you know, it's sad to see her go, but once again, great player and, uh, yeah, and enjoyed uh, talking to her lots over many, many years. Uh, Cool. Well, congratulations uh, to her. We mentioned that the curling season is pretty much over, but one event happened a couple of weeks ago that we didn't talk about. The event was the European Division C Championship, 
which is to some degree the World C Division Championship. You might remember that the European Group A and B Championships were held last December, and the top seven teams in Group A advanced to the World Championships last spring. So this is the C Division to determine one or possibly two teams that can move up to the B Division next September. Warren, what's all this about divisions over in Europe? Well, I've put this in here because it's a good example how I think the World Federation should be running the World Championships. So we now have the European Championship with three divisions. We have the Pan-Continental Championship last year that has two divisions, which is the qualifier for the uh, men's and women's worlds from the North America, Asia side, and the European Championships are the qualifier from the European side. Anyway, this is, uh, I think, something we should talk about. Ten men's teams and ten women's teams were involved. The thing was played in Dumfries, Scotland. In the women's side, Poland defeated Slovakia, and in the men's side, Ukraine beat Liechtenstein. Great accomplishment for the Ukraine, I think, with what they're going through, and that was another reason why we should talk about this. But the WCF made an announcement uh, just a few days ago uh, with regard to the automatic entry into the Europeans. So normally, these two teams uh, that were in the finals of the men's and women's would advance to the B division next year at the Europeans, but... uh, They've made a bit of a change here. They've now said that the host of the European Championships will get an automatic entry into either A or B, depending upon what their classification is. But they haven't decided yet where that event's going to be held next December. So what they basically said is if the host is already in, both the men and women will get two entries into the B division. But if the host is not in, then they could be part of the B division, which means that only one team of the ones we mentioned would advance. So, an interesting little sidebar on what's happening uh, at the C division level of European curling. And uh, again, be great if the World Championships <laughs> were basically run the same way. You know, I'd like to see a Canadian Open, Kev, just like a U.S. Open in golf. A Canadian Open where anyone can come and play and anyone can win. So, a ton of teams, you mean? Ton of teams. Yeah, open it up. <laughs> make it so. Make it so to win the Canadian Open is a major. But it is now, Jim. Anybody can enter the playdowns going to the Briar as long as you're a member of the curling club and meet the residency rules. Yeah, but that's only Canadian only. I'm saying cracker wide open and have a true Canadian, like a U.S. Open golf. Anyone can win it from around the world. No? Interesting. Okay. Okay. I'm glad I read the email that Maria liked me before I made this comment. (laughs) (laughs) There was once a car spiel like that in Edmonton called the Canadian Open. Anybody in the world could enter. Oh, cool. Didn't work. 64 teams. Oh, many, many years. Yeah, it, it, uh, I never had a chance to curl in it. but Must have been early 80s probably, but the last one. I think the last one I played in was maybe about 1980. Mm. Anyway. 43 years ago, Warren. <laughs> yeah, it's a while, Jim. Uh, that's what's happening around the curling world. Hot Rock Topics is brought to you by Coyote Tractor. If you have work to do, Coyote has the tractors, the UTVs, and the ZTRs to do it. Coyote, we dig dirt. A discussion about uh, 8Ns versus 10Ns, a number of fans seem to indicate a concern and to some degree an annoyance with the number of blank ends that are taking place in curling, even with the five rock rule and no tick rule in play. Many suggest that it is getting too predictable and boring with the top teams. Again, many suggesting taking away blank ends. If you blank an end, you lose the hammer, while others have suggested if you blank more than one end in a row, you lose the hammer, or maybe you can only blank a set number of ends in a game without penalty, like maybe three. What about the blankety-blank, as Warren wrote me? <laughs> Jimmy, we've got to talk about the blankety-blank. Uh, Kev, you go first on this. Well, I'm just trying to think of a Grand Slam final. There was a semi where Botcher blanked a bunch against Retornaz in a semi, but we do around the rings coverage during the semis so it we just don't go there much if they're going to blank a bunch of ends i'm trying to think of a final of a grand slam where there's a bunch of blanks i can't think of one eight ends that's one thing about eight ends is what felix won't like to hear but because the game the need they need to throw a guard right away you know they need to get after it whereas a 10 end game you can burn up the first couple which generally a lot of teams do so um, it can be a couple of blanks to start the game quite often in a 10 end game and there's a couple of reasons for that if you go after it right away in a 10 end game you'll run out of surface if you use too much sweeping, too much early in the first couple ends, it's really tough to uh, have the ice last. So you burn up the first couple ends, and then then you can play, and you can still draw the forefoot in the tenth. In the eight-end game, you don't tend to run out of surface, so that's another kind of benefit, sideline benefit of it. But, yeah, I'll look back uh, for the last couple of years. I keep them all in books. Actually, I have every 
every uh, game I, I commentate. And I'll have a look. I'll, I'll report back, Jimmy, because I'm trying to think of the last time we had a game where there's lots of blanks in the final. Warren knows. I don't know if in the final. Uh, certainly, um, there's been a lot of, I think, in various playoffs throughout the year where, where the a lot of control has been attempted to be kept with the blank. And I think the interesting thing about the blank is, uh, and I've thought a lot about this, I don't really know the answer. Once a team probably passes by maybe the uh, second's last stone or the third's first stone, and it's becoming obvious it's going to be very difficult to score more than two, they start to pretty much play a thing towards the blank. And I, I see that happening quite a bit, in particular in the early going. If they don't see the two pretty much automatically unfolding, by the time they get to the third stones, they will start to try to play to escape. And uh, at one point in time in this game, it was hard to escape, but boy, it isn't anymore. It, it's quite amazing how sometimes when you get to the third stones and there can be three rocks in play, and all of a sudden with one shot, they, they can wipe them all out and they can be spread around the house. Right. So it's a it's a topic, I think, that requires some thought, uh, maybe some experimenting as to if you do this, kind of what happens. If you do that, maybe what happens. But I think we always have to be conscious of the fact, and this is what got my attention. We had quite a few people in that Facebook group are suggesting, again, it's becoming boring back like it was in, in the 80s. And uh, I think we have to make sure that scoring is always a major part of the game to keep people's interest. It's one of the reasons I don't particularly like soccer, because uh, one nil doesn't exactly turn me on. And uh, I think in any sport, for people to be interested in it, scoring has to be a major part of it. I watched the Rugby Sevens tournament here in uh, February, and that's an impressive thing there. The scoring right. is uh, crazy. And uh, I, nobody is ever out of reach, even though it's only a 15-minute game. So I, I think there's a point, and uh, I think something that maybe has to be thought more about as we move forward. Yeah, you've mentioned before too, Warren, like vo- volleyball was never going to get broadcasted until they said, come up with something different, I think you said. And they went to beach volleyball. Yes, yes. Massive. People may be tuning in a little for a different reason than just the volleyball, though. Okay, a little bit of a different <laughs> reason, fellas. But I think it's part of the key moving forward. It's it's quick and uh, scoring, and as I've used the term for the Gen Zs again, quick, fun, and engaging. And that's what always has to be, I think, at the uh, top of thought. Before we leave this topic, uh, Kevin, interesting when you said, but your comment on blank ends going, well, I'll tell you what, uh, this probably is an indication the, the television network doesn't go to a game if there's a bunch of blank ends. So it tells you where the networks sit. Well, well, with Sportsnet, we do the round the rings coverage in the quarters and the semis, mm-hmm. which I, I love. Um, and that's keeping up with all the games. So you just, it's, it's craziness uh, for inside the truck and, and in the commentator booth. And for the camera mm-hmm. guys, it's, it's wild trying to keep up on everything. But it's so much fun. But one, but one thing you do, yeah, in the, in the example of the Botcher-Retornaz game that day, uh, Retornaz ended up winning it, but Botcher was doing all the blanking, and they were just blank, blank, blank. Well, we just don't go there. There's three other sheets. Right. You just go there. So, you know, um, I was just, that's why I brought up the point about the finals. When it comes to quarters mm-hmm. and semis, um, we just wouldn't go there. I wouldn't, I don't remember other than that one. But I'm going to look it up, and I'll just see over the last So you're years. sitting on the fence, Kev. You're no, sitting no, on the fence. I just don't have that good a memory. I, I will look it up uh, over the last few years of the finals and just see uh, if we had a game like that. I just can't remember one. Here's what we do, Warren. You just alternate the hammer, regardless of who scores. Well, or maybe uh, it's an eight-in game. You get the hammer four ends, and you don't. And when, once you've used up your fourth hammer, you're done. That, that's not bad. Yeah. You can't have another one. Send your emails to me, folks, and I'll give you a comment on uh, that. <laughs> but but you know, you, we think back for time here. We've we've gone through. The Moncton rule, the three-rock rule, the four-rock rule, the five-rock rule, the no-tick rule, and it's all aimed at one thing, scoring. And so I think it's, a, it's something that's the top of mind with people with this sport, that uh, for to have interests, we have to have scoring. What are you hearing? Brought to you by Hearing Life. If vision places the world in front of us, hearing places us at its center. Hearing Life invites you to love your ears with a free hearing test, no referral needed, Visit hearinglife.ca to book your free hearing test today. So Nick Vitey has suggested that maybe the top players should not be able to use a stopwatch in a game, only in practice to maybe make things a little more challenging. Kev? Isn't that an interesting point? Yes. Um, that, that was done in the Elite 10, actually, uh, not allowing stopwatches. It made a big difference. I never did use a stopwatch. I did everything by, by eye. It's, it's used a lot and probably too much with kids. And we're not getting the young players 
reading the weight with their eyes enough. So uh, interesting point um, to do it throughout the entire game. It was, you know, during the, uh, the, the PGA championship those last few days, they actually talked about using the yardage book and, and marching back from different landmarks to figure out the distance to the pin rather than allowing the uh, range finders. Yeah. yeah. Range finders and instruments. So that was an interesting discussion they had on, on the broadcast. Actually, that kind of comes into almost the same talk about a stopwatch, whereas you could just use your eye and figure it out that way rather than have all this communication about time. Very interesting. Uh, I really appreciate the email. And that's something I'd love to hear from people on uh, over. Send us emails on because I'm a bit torn. I, I kind of like the idea of maybe not using stopwatches uh, on the ice and just have to use your eye. Have to, you have to gauge it how far you are. Kind of interesting. Right. Did you guys ever use stopwatches, Warren? I think stopwatches came into the picture around about 1980 would be my okay. guess when, when some people first started using them. Um, I never used one myself, although I played with it a bit but uh, never did get to the point of using it. Uh, interesting thing about the golf Kevin brought up, and, and I have to dig into that a little bit more yesterday after that discussion, and I found out that the PGA Championship that we watched yesterday, in 2021, they decided they would allow the players to start using rangefinders because they thought it would speed up right. the game. And right now, the PGA Championship, not the PGA Tour, the championship is the only event in the year that allows them to use rangefinders. The rest of the year, they can't right. use them. So uh, interesting experiment as to, yes, they did that, but why haven't they gone all out and done it for the entire tour? It was a failed experiment, by the way, Warren. I watched the event. It doesn't doesn't speed up play at all. Well, as soon as I read and heard that, I, th I thought the same thing, and I, I agree with you. I don't think it sped things up at all. As far as curling is concerned, um, I agree with Kevin. might be an interesting uh take to, to, to try it out. I, I mean, I go back to my day, you certainly, we didn't have those stopwatches and we had variations in the ice, particularly in arena from side to center that uh, were pretty wild at times and you had to figure it out. You had to watch the ice a lot. You had to w w look to where frost buildups were because you'd have a strip down the middle where the frost would be worn down. And then as you got towards the house, it would fan out. So you, you had to be very aware of all those things. But it may make a difference as far as the uh, ability of players to judge if they didn't have the comfort of a stopwatch. But it wouldn't change the length of a game. It wouldn't make any difference, would it? I don't think so. Do you, Kevin? No, I do not think that. No. I would just like to see, Jimmy, uh, kids using their eyes a little bit more than, than believing in the stopwatch so much. That's all. Good, good deal. Uh, Warren, the other thing before we leave this and shut the show down, you had mentioned that you think they should get rid of uh, conferences discussing each shot where they have the whole team and a coach down there. Well, maybe that could be our next show. But yes, that was my point. I'm saying it's kind of interesting. Historically, the skip and the third are supposed to be the people making the decisions and the front end isn't supposed to be inside the far end house. And we have all these four player conferences <laughs> that take up a lot of time. I'm sure, Kevin, in the end, you didn't uh, veto anyone's uh, decision. Oh, oh yeah, no, no. Always welcome. <laughs> always welcome. Just ask Benny. Ask yeah. Benny. He was always, always welcome. welcome. <laughs> always welcome to put in his two cents. <laughs> if Ben's, Ben's listening, there's the old palm in the air. And Ben would go, oh, okay, I'll go to the other end. <laughs> the guy I played with, the game was fast because there was one thing with regard to discussion. There wasn't any. Yeah, right. <laughs> Perfect. And, and he had the philosophy of he wanted a curling team that had a skip and three robots. Yeah. Hector was great at that. <laughs> yeah. And he was scary. That was the other thing. Yeah. Yes, he, yeah, was. he was scary. Okay, boys, another show in the books. Uh, thank you very much, everybody, for listening. Thank you to all our sponsors. Uh, special thank you to Goldline, uh, who came on today. Andrew Brett is the VP of Goldline, and Pete Townsend, the CEO of uh, Goldline. That was great to have them on. Uh, and we want to thank all of our sponsors, keeping this show afloat and uh, participating in uh, all of our uh, Inside Curling episodes. Uh, we want to thank Sports Interaction, Coyote Boost, Hearing Life, and Goldline, who make all of this possible. Also, uh, if you want to be a Felix, we'll call it a Felix now, okay? And you want to weigh in and you want to take Warren on, Kevin and I welcome that wholeheartedly, okay? <laughs> that you can uh, take on the beast. Take on the beast, man. Slay the dragon, baby. Also, big thank you to Rod Paulson and his company, In-House Strategies. Uh, Rod handles all our Facebook page and uh, Facebook group. InsideCurling at gmail.com is our email. Uh, big thank you to all our sponsors, Coyote Boost, Hearing Life, Goldline, uh, and Sports Interaction, who make all of this possible. Kev, you got the grandkids coming over. You're good to go. Warren, you go have a nap. Okay, it's late. It's yep. late. A little bit of birthday cake for Karik. We're uh, 
Yeah, a little birthday action. Got the grandkids coming over. It'll be lots of activity in just a few minutes. Nice. Warren told me he almost dropped dead yesterday because he saw a picture of me in a tie, wearing a shirt and tie. <laughs> so Hannah sent a text. What happened? Somebody die? <laughs> uh, I got to say hello because they're big fans. I was down and my sister's son got married in Calgary. Uh, ben Shoning. Congratulations, Ben. And I must have had seven or eight, maybe close to a dozen women who curl with my sister who are big fans of the show. So everyone from my sister, Mary Lou's curling team, thanks for listening. We'll talk to everybody next week on another episode of Inside Curling. See you, boys. See you, Kev. See you, Warren. Thanks, Jim. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.